This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we're three weeks into the NLL season and the Albany Firewolves are the only undefeated team left. The Saskatchewan Rush got their first win of the season as Zach Manns is on pace to shatter all his career numbers. Only three games in week four, but plenty of ways to win on box bets. All that more on OTCB. I am an Good evening and welcome ladies and gentlemen alongside Pat Gregoire. My name is Teddy Jenner and boy have we got an absolute beauty for you tonight. Mans with some room, he scores. It's a hat trick for Zach Mans. Paulus moves it off to the left side, cross to Firth now. Firth finds Simmons, he scores! Alex Simmons from some distance. San Diego zone is Josh Byrne, heavily covered, but recovers, scores! Oh, did Buffalo need that one badly, and the crowd back up on their feet here at KeyBank Center. Smith with a long outlet, here they go in transition, Armstrong in a 2v1, stopped by Duckerly, rebound by Bell, and it's good for Halifax! Bell, right place, right time! Rays all low, bounce shot, scores! It trickled over Dustin Hill. And I know you've got this stat ready, Brad. How many days between goals for one James Ray? 1,414 days. Three years, 10 months, and 15 days since he tickled twine. James Ray out of retirement, into the lineup, and into the back of the net. We got what? 19, 18 more weeks to go in the National Lacrosse League season. And again, some very interesting storylines coming out of the National Lacrosse League. Welcome back to the Off the Crossbar podcast. He is Pat Gregor. Find him on Twitter at Pete Greggy. I am at Teddy Jenner. The show at OTCB underscore podcast. And then on the Instas at OTCB podcast. Patty, what is going on? What's with all the books behind you? I'm just doing some light reading on my bye week last <laughs> week. Uh, no new setup here in the office. Uh, so, uh, trying to, trying to make myself look a little more studious when I go on my, my work calls. Uh, no, this, all this interior designing in here, um, is done by the girlfriend, not me. I have to give her all the credit. But, um, uh, isn't she a fiance now? Not yet. Well, not yet. No, not yet. Not yet. Let's, 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 let's not, uh, <laughs> Okay, pump pump the brakes here, buddy. Pump, pump the brakes. The brakes. <laughs> okay. All right. There's uh, enough pressure coming from all angles here. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Uh, but you do look very studious. Uh, those are a lot of books. What is your favorite book behind you? My favorite book behind me? Um, actually, uh, give me one second. I'll go grab it. This is great podcasting, but one sec. <laughs> he goes. He's, oh, front row. It's right there ready for him. Ah, yes, The Medicine Game. Medicine Game by Delby Paulus. Uh, yeah. Awesome book. Um, again, obviously, uh, ties to lacrosse, ties to the uh, the Six Nations community. Really, really great story. Um, I think you can still get it up on Amazon. Um, maybe we'll throw out a link on our socials or something. Yeah. But if you're looking for any stocking stuffers, uh, for sure, great read, great story, great message. I'll I'll match you uh, with this one. Oh, beautiful medicine game! This is a right. book done by a guy I grew up playing against and with, uh, by the name of Travis Taylor. Um, he's been 
after he was sort of done playing lacrosse, he went over and started helping with like Hong Kong lacrosse and, and a lot of those Asian um, countries with their sort of burgeoning, burgeoning lacrosse teams. Um, and now he's been with like Team England for the last while, helping out with them. But he, uh, a few summers ago, he'd asked me, you know, to help connect him because he was basically doing like a cross country, cross continent um, tour to, to talk to people in the reservations in some of these communities to learn more about the game and the Haudenosaunee and reconciliation. So uh, he was, you know, nice enough to flip me a copy of his book and I, I couldn't put it down. You know, a lot of the stuff kind of new from from talking with guys like Delby and Jammer and, and Bomber and all those guys. But then there's some stuff that I didn't know. So um, it's an incredible read. It's it's a fairly easy read for those people like me that that aren't avid readers. Um, I literally sat on my back deck and, and powered through ha- most of it uh, in one sitting. But um, it's a fantastic read. So uh, we'll put both links up for, for the medicine game and the modern medicine game. So if you're looking for some last minute Christmas ideas or stocking stuffers, but um, just some great information that's out there um, and done by some, some really good, um, unbelievable people in, in Delby and Travis. Obviously Delby's more of a story while Travis is sort of a history uh, a book, but uh, just some great stuff that's up there. So quick little sidebar as we give you some last minute stocking stuffers. Um, you talked about your new setup. You were on with the uh, Daily Dive Boys uh, this week, making a, a special guest appearance. How did that go? And do you think he's gaining traction? Is he getting more fans with his hot takes? I honestly, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Mike and and producer Joe, they're they're really they're passionate in what they do. Say what you will, agree or disagree with some of the takes that they throw out there, but um, I mean. I will leave the mystery to producer Joe, but I'll just say this. He, I know he's, I mean, it's, he's made it very clear on social or hearing Mike talk about it. He's a passionate member, card carrying member of bandit land. So it's not like, you know, he, he's just popping out of here out of nowhere. Like this guy loves his lacrosse and, and yeah, sure. MK may be new to the game, but I mean, he is super passionate about it. He mm-hmm. loves it. He's trying to learn more. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a shtick, but, uh, you know, when, when you, when you go to it, you got to give them credit, man. Got to give those, go, those guys credit Monday to Friday. They're putting out content. They're talking about mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, maybe calling out certain guys in the league for the way they dress or carry themselves. He got not body team. bagged by T, but Hey, and he took it, he took it on the chin <laughs> and, and that's the thing. Uh, T-Bell, I mean, his jacket said it. If you don't see it on, on social media, take a look. Uh, absolute <laughs> body bagging by t-bell but what would you expect that's t-bell man Um, but yeah no it was fun it was a lot of fun i do think they're gaining traction i really do i think people are hungry for content and i know you and i put this podcast out once a week uh jake and tino put a podcast out a week there's some other shows out there um you know back of the bird but people want more more content and if they're offering it every single day they're bringing on great guests i know adam's on every single friday you know, Cody yeah. Jansen has been on a ton. Um, you've been on the on show. There. Coop's been on yeah. multiple times. The the guests are great, and and I, you know, it, it's entertaining. It's entertaining. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I, of course. Again, there's there's strokes for different folks, but if, if you're looking to get some lacrosse entertainment, um, I'm not going to shame you for t- tuning into the daily dive. That's for sure. Uh, speaking of strokes, you guys still golfing out there in the east? 
God, no. Although early <laughs> December, was it maybe like, you know, a couple weeks ago, um, a few courses actually opened up like for a special weekend because it was so mild. We were cooking right. with like, you know, uh, low, low teens. Um, so there was a few, few golf courses that did open up. Um, not, I don't know. There was a couple of them that like had like, it looked like it was almost like a private event, uh, for some like local media. Um, but then, yeah, there were, there was a couple of courses that like just this weekend only were opening up like pro shops, not open. Like it's basically like you book, you send an e-transfer or pay on and like you just show up. (laughs) Um, let me guess you're still golfing out. Oh, yeah, I golfed yesterday and I shot 74 um, career low. Um, oh, okay. I, I was going to get mad at you uh, for golfing, but career low, I'll give it to you. I am jealous, yeah. though, because yeah. looking outside of my window right now in my office here, it's sunny. It looks beautiful. looks gorgeous. But then when you go outside, it's about minus five right now. So uh, Yeah, we're sitting at about golfing. 10 degrees, light cloud, little misty rain, some fog. Perfect winter golf just grab a um, q-zip grab a q-zip grab a hoodie like yeah i gotta yeah, i gotta I, get I, out to the, i gotta get out to the west coast man this is this west coast best coast man uh let's get into it we we've rambled on enough uh week four in the national cross league we'll get through this because it was a busy one uh where do you want to start i think i think we gotta start with what we said was going to be the game of the week and oh. it lived up to the game of the week it was banner raising night and it was a banner moment for this this bandits organization, a near sellout on game one, and the carryover, the momentum that Bandit Land had with that organization just walked right in to game one of their home schedule. And the game itself, man, did not disappoint. No comeback victory. We saw the patent comeback. Um it was the bandits knocking off the seals 12-9 but let me tell you man this san diego team i know that they they end up hanging an l in this game uh i would not be shocked to see these two teams meet in the playoffs late in the playoffs give me seven games with these guys i know we don't do it but when we sit every year we usually find two teams that are really evenly matched and play an exciting brand of lacrosse against each other but i would love to see these two teams go seven games it was probably the biggest game chris o'riglary had ever played in like crowd wise yeah. seventeen thousand two hundred. it's well, got to be a little it would have been um in that scenario that bandit land we all know is a completely different animal and and, and like you said, there was that comeback in the second half. And I, th- and I really believe that Banditland plays a part in that. When the fans just start going crazy and, and Josh Byrne, you're hearing that same song four times tonight, <laughs> just him and Dane are bobbing their head together right beside each other on the bench. But once they start getting momentum and once Banditland starts getting louder and they feed off that, it's really hard to stop that momentum. And I really think that was the difference in that game. But it did. But San Diego did look good. Like mm-hmm. I thought, their offense looked good. Their defense was physical and fast. Overig played a really good game. He just kind of lost sight of the ball a few times late in that second half in the fourth quarter. But you're right. I think the Seals team really showed a lot to themselves and to everybody else that they can hang with the big dogs in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, it, it was a fantastic night. I loved everything about it, from the opening ceremonies to to the whole game. 
to to the commissioner on at halftime with Gertz. Like it was an incredible, incredible night for everybody. Even if you know the Seals did take that L, I thought it was a win-win for everybody across the board. I thought that. Yeah, I mean, you 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 lined that out perfectly, to be quite honest. But I think it might have been one of the best early season games I've seen in a long time. Like, yeah. it wasn't two teams feeling out, filling each other out early on, or two teams you know, kind of ironing things out like that. If you took that tape and fast forward it to April to, to, yeah. to May, I would, I wouldn't have been like, there's no drop off of play. Like these, mm-hmm. these two teams were going toe to toe and they looked like they were in mid season form. It was a really good game. Peyton Rosanka continues to just impress me. Um, what a great player he has, has proven to be early on in his young NLL career. Uh, Ian McKay again, like, <laughs> I, his like I don't I don't think like again he, he just continues to to not be in that top echelon when it comes to the chatter about top transition players this year like we if we're going to talk about transition players of the year Ian McKay's name's got to be there and shout out to to Tino Farrow for apparently being a big reason why uh, some no- negotiations <laughs> went really well with him, um, according to Chugger. But uh, but in all seriousness, man, like, again, just an absolute weapon um, for this Bandits team. And it just seems like every time he touches the floor, he just gets better and better. Um, Brandon Robinson had a goal in transition. Um, who was it? That Was it Janner that said um, – he had asked Chugger to to go out the back door and play somewhere. I can't remember who said it in our group chat, but he he basically went to JT and Chugger said, "Hey, what about me playing out the back door?" Obviously, Buffalo has been riddled with some injuries leading into the season. Cam Wires got his first game in, but I love seeing guys, you know, step up and say, "Hey, what about me doing this?" He's such an incredible athlete. He's a big body. He obviously can run the floor very well. And score in transition, but just gives them an added depth um, of versatility in their offense. And, you know, he scored a goal. Now it's up to 375 goals across the league. Uh, We're up to 25 goals of the Buffalo Bandits alone as we all combine to help Morgan's message and the battle against mental health issues. Um, But that was just a very well-rounded Buffalo performance from Matt Vince all the way out. But, Cooper Perkins put out this stat, and we were talking about it during the game because while we were watching the game before our TSN game, the Seals have 36 shorthanded goals in their last 38 regular season games. That is almost shorty a game. And as I've said before, everybody loves shorties. But the Seals may be more than most. They're obviously a very dynamic offense, but they just have this knack. And I don't know what it is about them being able to find goal shorthanded, but this is going to be something to watch as this season goes along of how well they execute man down. I think we're seeing it like, well, they're obviously the masters at it when you look at those numbers, but we're seeing across the league more and more shorthanded goals scored. Mm-hmm. Um, like Zach Manns already has two, I think Keenan, like I think the the rush themselves might might be up to like six or seven already. Um, yeah. But we're Al- Albany, I know have have scored a bunch this year as well. Um, 
against the seals are the the standard of it but we're seeing it more and i think that just that goes to show you that the these teams realize that like five on five scoring is so important and but it, it's it comes at such a premium that yes when you yeah. get on a power play you got to score but if you can tilt the game in, in certain situations like they're always looking for an edge talking to coaches it's like you know if you can win the the, the uh, special teams battle and you can win the transition battle you're probably going to win the game mm-hmm. well now that if there's an opportunity where you can actually turn a man or a, a, a you know a man down disadvantage to an advantage by just saying like hey your best players you can go and take it to the rack or yeah. maybe you put an offensive player at the top of your box on the pk and he's allowed to cheat out a little bit and try to pick mm-hmm. off passes and generate that offense from there because teams are so focused at the net they go one way you're going the other way and an opportunity is coming but it, like i'd be really curious to see one how these short shorthanded goals are being scored is it in transition off the rush or are mm. we seeing settled sets where teams are designing offensive sets when they're down to create space and score I, it's very interesting and i i know cooper perkins has done a really good job with some of those 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 numbers well here's a number another number for you to dig in where are where are these shorties coming from i want to yeah. see the breakdown of that it'd be really cool well, to see laxmetrics.com and Ty Merrill's lacrosse site will probably have all those stats for us. So um, plenty of ways to get that information, but just uh, you're right. It, if you can turn a negative into a positive and find some, an extra goal man down, that's a huge boost uh, for any team going forward. So uh, the seals drop one, the bandits get back on the horse after losing their opener. So for all those people that were worried about Buffalo after game one, uh, pump the brakes, they're going to be just fine. And the seals will be just fine as well as they move forward. Uh, let's go to Halifax in New York. The Thunderbirds continue to absolutely own the New York riptide. Uh, they win 14, six and what was a fairly easy victory for them. Again, Warren Hill, looking great between the pipes. They're getting scoring in transition. Uh, Randy's first game back, he didn't seem like he missed a beat. But I think the big story coming out of this game was the instigator penalty on Jake Withers. And I know you feel one way about it. I kind of feel the same way that you feel about it. But let's kind of break this down, and we'll let kind of everybody have their say here. So Jake Withers, as we all know, probably easily the best faceoff guy in the league, wins a draw. Callum Jones comes from the far restraining line, hits Wiz with a cross check in the face. Wiz immediately grabs Callum. They fight. And at the end of the day, Wiz gets two for instigating, five for fighting, and a game misconduct. He's gone. Callum Jones gets, what, five for fighting and five-minute face mask. He's gone, I believe, for, for the two majors, right? Yes. Do you feel... And I, I think we're on the same wavelength here. Do you feel that the instigator, there should be some discussion in making that call that if it's just a guy grabbing someone out of the blue, that's an easy call. But wouldn't the instigator in this instance be the hit mm-hmm. from Callum Jones? So that would take – so even if you don't want to give the instigator to Wiz – and you don't give the instigator to Callum. That was the initial 
incident that started and made Wiz go after Callum Jones. Is that how you feel about this? Uh, 1,000%. I think that that there needs to be – like, I get it. When you look at the letter of the law, when you look at, at how the instigator is called, it's, you know, when there's clear one side that drops the gloves and instigates a fight. Um, and, again, I'm paraphrasing the rule here, yeah. but that is an instigator. Well, like you said, it's not Jake Withers was, you know, you know him and, and Callum Jones jawing at each other and Jones says something to him and he turns around and jumps him and starts filling him in. Yeah, He picked himself off, off the ground after getting high-sticked right in the face. And he went over to Jones, dropped the glove, said, we're going. And it's not like Jones turtled and, and yeah. didn't go. Jones said, all right. I gotta, I gotta stay. I gotta, you know, back this up. I just cross checked Jake Withers in the face. I gotta go. He drops his his gloves eventually. They throw. So for me, I just don't see how this is an instigator. He's defending mm-hmm. himself. The other the other opponent actually was in fact a willing combatant and had it having to defend himself for what he did. The the instigator just doesn't make sense in that in that case. And to me. Now they're uh, like, what? what's to say that other teams are not going to be like, well, if we take a run at Wiz now, he's going to, you know, his wires are going to cross and he's going to probably try to go at someone. And then the instigator, like, is that now what teams are going to try to do to get Wiz out of the, the faceoff circle? And We've if it's not Wiz, it's going to be someone else grabbing him. Right. So you probably exactly. lose that guy because then he becomes even more of an instigator because he wasn't involved in the initial play. So I completely agree. I think it opens up Pandora's box in this situation yeah. for teams really trying to do that. And, and obviously no one's going to go out and just blatantly try to run Jake Withers or Trevor Baptiste or any of these face-off guys. But I, I do believe that in this instance and in instances like this where there is a preceding hit or play that you have to take that into account. I talked with Todd LeBranch and he said, no, they called it right. He said, but, you know, if they if that hit happens and then later in the game something comes back to it, then they would take that into account. I'm like, well, it's the same thing just like 20 minutes later. So mm-hmm. it'll be very interesting to see, you know, how this kind of plays out the rest of the year. And, and, you know, if we look at more instigators, how is that instigator called? Is it just a pure one guy without anything kind of coming from it, just drops the mitts and goes after a guy, pure automatic instigator. But when the fight happens because of a hit immediately after, I think you have to take that into account. So I I felt it was very, very interesting that that's how it was called. Obviously at the end of the day, it didn't hurt the the Thunderbirds, but who knows? Maybe later on the year that does happen. Wiz gets taken out early in a game and and now the Thunderbirds are reeling and they can't come back. So it, it was a very interesting scene. And I think we'll have to kind of watch that as, as the year goes on. Um, just as it was in my mind, do you remember the play where Curtis Dixon drove underneath in the Buffalo game? And Vino stepped out off of his line to make contact with Dixon. But Dixon got the goal interference penalty. See, I like... I understand you have to protect goaltenders. That's their crease. But if the goaltender is the one initiating the contact, it can't be goaltender interference on the player. 
And I know, that, I know that's a gray area and it's always a tough one to call for officials, but you can literally see Vino step forward into Dixon to initiate that contact because he doesn't want a guy diving through his crease. Like Steve Dietrich used to do that all the time. Guy was running through the crease. He would just go out and lay, lay the guy out before he would have a chance to dive. So I think there are some gray areas in some of the rules. Instigator, goaltender interference can be cut and dry. Sometimes it can be a little foggy, but it just kind of popped into my head as we were talking about this kind of gray area of rules that, that officials have to, to be wary of. There's so many things that the officials are watching, but those are just two that kind of stuck out in my mind. I mean, there, there's a lot of gray area and interpretation of, of that rule book. And, and I, I, you know, I think it's the most thankless job in, in maybe sports the to oh, yeah. to officiate lacrosse. I think it is one of the most, if not the most difficult to, to call because there is so much interpretation. And, and, and I, I do believe that the interpretation of the instigator rule was not applied correctly. I know I'm not an a, a official. I know I, I, I haven't gone through the training that they have. I just feel like in the game of lacrosse, the, especially in the physical matter, the way that that instigator rule is, um, you know, is written, there should be some room for application and interpretation because like you said, you just, you just open up a can of worms now uh, going forward. Um, as an Edmonton Oilers fan, um, and maybe as a, as a Leafs fan, you've probably heard this with Austin Matthews, as I've heard it with Connor McDavid, um, that they just aren't going to sit idle and take losing. Um, when are they going to get out kind of thing? Are we starting to see that with Jeff Teed, or am I just reading illegal tea leaves? Like, is the clock running out on this group to, to actually make something happen with Jeff Teed in their lineup? Well, I think that ownership absolutely has to be thinking, like, you know, the clock is on. We have the golden goose. We have one of the best players on the planet, the best, you know, depending on who you ask. Certainly in the conversation. Let's let's just say that. Yeah. But since and shout out to the Lax Mag for for throwing this graphic out. Since their first season in 2020, New York is 0 and 11 during the month of December. And I know that doesn't include all of Jeff Teat. Obviously, Jeff Teat has only been here for three seasons. But that goes to show to me that, and now it's even more pressing with the unified standings, yeah. like how do you expect not to win in, in the first month and not think that that's going to bite you in the ass come playoff time? And, you know, for them, it hasn't even had to hurt them because they haven't even been close enough to being in a playoff race. But now this is, this is it. I said it last week. You, you've been telling and not just them, you know, the media, the the signings that they've made, the mm -hmm. management, the coaching staff, the players, and saying this is a different group. You know, we got veterans on our back, and we got guys that have won championships before. We have the one of the best players on the planet on our offense. We have a a, a really up and coming goalie who has been playing some great lacrosse lately. Prove it, and they haven't proven it. Mm -hmm. They all they've proven is that this is the same old Riptide. And the clock is ticking. There was an article yesterday on NLL saying, like, you know, the way that they're going to sell tickets and put asses in seats in New York is by winning. Very, very weirdly timed 
dropping of that, <laughs> yeah. considering that mm-hmm. that you know all the news going on how poor they've played in December. But it's right though. They're, I mean, it's not wrong. The easiest nope. way to sell tickets is winning. You have Jeff T, a generational talent here. You have to find ways to win, and. Yeah. Yeah, is he playing well right now? No, he's not playing up to his standard at all. None of those guys on offense are. And I don't know if it's it's a coaching staff change, if it's an offensive coordinator change, if it's trading someone on that left side, bringing in a more of a, a grinder, a, a guy that can free up space, can whatever it is, something has to change and it has to change fast. Because they can't afford to go 0-3, 0-4, It just can't happen. You have an opportunity that 14 other teams across the National Lacrosse League would love to have, and that's Jeff Teat in their lineup. And you're right. Not only is, is the pressure on ownership to get bought, you know, bodies in that building, but it's also pressure for Jeff Teat to, like you said, not go up to management and – take a quote from Slapshot and say, trade me right fucking now because it could get to that point. It could get to that point because these generational talents, what make them special? Yeah, sure. It's what they do on the floor. It's what, you know, the vision or the goal scoring ability, the playmaking ability. What really makes them special is the will to win and the want to win. And Jeff Teed has that. There's no doubt this is killing him. This is driving him nuts. And then you compound the fact that time and time after again, that building is is not near to where it needs to be in terms yeah. of, of of fan attendance. The the time is ticking. Something's got to give, and I don't know if it's going to happen before Christmas. They've got a tough tough stretch here, Toronto next week, and I believe Philly after that. Mm-hmm. If they if they drop both those games, some, some something big has to happen, and I wouldn't be I, I would be shocked if something doesn't happen even after that Toronto game, maybe even before that Toronto game. Yeah. Uh, the Vancouver Warriors laid an egg in their first game, but they absolutely turned it around in their second game at home, beating Georgia Swarm 15-7. to I don't think anybody saw this scoring line. I don't think anybody saw Brett Dobson getting the OTCB dump and, <laughs> and, and not having his best game and, and Dustin Hill coming in in that fourth quarter, but Ryan Martell with a career night, nine points uh, in the game with four and five. Uh, Sherlin Beatty's was fantastic. I thought Owen Grant was unbelievable in the defensive end. Same with Braden Lady, the young, the two young rookies for Vancouver. Aaron Bold uh, looked like the old Aaron Bold. This is a huge, huge win for this Vancouver team. Well, I actually wanted to flip this on you because you're there, you're in the building, you and Brad and Chantel did such a great job on the call. What was more impressive to you? Because I think most people would say it was the offense and how electric they were. Martel mm-hmm. and and Charlene Beatty's looked so good. But that defense, to hold Georgia to just seven, to hold Lyle to just four, and for Aaron Bull to have that bounce back, I'm kind of leaning that the more impressive sneakily was the defensive performance. Yeah, I, I got to agree. I think after that first game when the right-handers didn't score, you know, Kurt Miloski and that team really realized that they needed more production. They got a baller scored, Killen scored, Crowley scored, like everybody got involved in the whole offense. But 
you're right. For that defense to hold the rush or to hold the swarm to just seven and the way they played, like it was a very different looking defense. And even though they had a week off, they didn't practice in that time just because they wanted to give guys some time away, which which kind of concerned me a little bit. But, you know, like Boldy doesn't live in market. Killen doesn't live in market. They got some guys that, that aren't in market that, you know, they'd want to be there for practice. But just listening to the message from Kurt Miloski, not th- this Kurt Miloski is a very different Kurt Miloski that's been in Calgary because he'd been there for so long and everybody knew his systems and everybody knew, you know, his practice schedule, his pregame schedule, like everything was minute down to the minute. And so it's taken a lot of time for everybody to kind of adjust, you know, players learning coaches, coaches are learning players. And his message was just trust what we're doing. Trust that the coaches are going to do what's right for the team. Trust that if a play doesn't work, we're still going to have some success. So it was awesome to see that defense really round into form. And the old adage that coaches say, we want to give our goalie shots that they want to see. And they really did that. You know, Lyle wasn't getting underneath. He wasn't didn't have the ability to, to dive, across, dive across. Andrew Q wasn't getting the outside shots that he likes to see. Jacko wasn't his effective self. So I really believe you're right. The bigger story was that defense and the turnaround they had because we knew the offense was going to score. I don't think I don't think Martell is going to be a nine point a night kind of guy. But <laughs> if you can get that depth production and then allow Charlotte Beatties and Crowley and, and Baller and Killen to be your number one guys. And you get Martell and Lowen and, and James Ray getting back in for, from his first goal in 1,400 days. Like It was just an unbelievable performance. But the way that defense played, if this is the defense we can expect, I think we're going to see a lot of positive turns for this group. And, and we talked about it with New York. Winning will bring fans in. Well, the fan base is already starting to return to Vancouver. It was starting to return last year. But you start to win some games. You start to win some home games, and more fans are going to come out. Across the league, maybe barring Buffalo raising the banner in front of 72,000, Christmas fan bases are usually a little lower. Mm -hmm. People's money go to different areas during this time of year. But if they can pile a few more wins, they can win next weekend in Rochester – now you're two and one going into the new year. That's a very positive system and positive thoughts that are within this group. So I just thought it was a completely dominant performance, top to bottom. Like we said, nobody expected them to to beat the swarm the way they did, but for them to do it that handily and almost that easily uh, is great signs to come for this Warriors club. We knew that obviously the additions, you know, the beers, the Dilks, those mm-hmm. big names were, were going to be huge for this defense. Um, but for me, I think it's safe to say that, you know, Owen Grant has arrived. Like, you know, his stat yeah. line wasn't maybe as good as some of the others, but he had a heavy dose of Lyle Thompson and did a mm-hmm. great job shutting him down. But Braden Lady, oh man, he is ahead of schedule. That kid yeah. is impressive. I love watching his game. Um, Kurt Malowski said he lives off the cross check, and boy, does he ever. Like, he is two-hand tough, plays the yeah. game the right way, plays with some jump, and I thought, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he's going to be a, a great pro for a long time. 
Owen Grant's going to be a top echelon defender for a long time. So the the influx of veterans added to some of these new pieces, these younger pieces are great. And Reed Bowering, man, like he's he played a great game, but he doesn't have to be Superman every night with this no. defense, which is so great. He does yeah, not have to, which, which is going to go a long way. Yeah, it's going to benefit his game at the end of the day because, you know, he's not on short man. You know, the, the, their short man is Beers, Dokes, Crowley, and sometimes Owen Grant, but most of the time Mitski. Like, that is just an insane short man unit. So it gives rebowering a few more extra shifts of rest and allow him to be a more transition threat. Yes, they want him focusing on his defense. The loose balls are going to come. The transition opportunities are going to come. But those all come from playing good defense, smart defense, responsible defense in your own zone. So you're right. Don't need him to be a monster. They got those other guys to do that. They need rebowering to be just a guy that slides on doubles, a guy that picks up a loose ball and pushes in transition, and a guy that you know takes a third or fourth option on the floor for the opposing team. So the the additions of the veterans that they brought in are allowing their youngsters to just do what they need to do. Don't do anything special. Owen Grant's going to get top assignments every game just because he's that damn good. But everybody else from the offense to defense, let those experienced guys be the number one, the number two, and then just go be a role player. Just go do your thing. Don't try to do anything that's outside of your comfort zone. Don't try to pull out stuff that's not usually in your bag. Just play steady solid lacrosse. And that's what Vancouver did on the weekend. And it was awesome to see. It was a, a fantastic broadcast. I'm absolutely loving the behind-the-scenes stuff that Bucky's putting out on NLL, on PSN, on their Twitter account. It's just fantastic. Just uh, more content um, to give us an inside look of not just the players, but the broadcast as well. Yeah, if you don't already, follow at NLL underscore on underscore TSN on X and, of course, on Instagram as well. Really, really good stuff uh, going on there. So t- take a look, get a behind-the-scenes look uh, inside the truck, inside the booth with you and, and Brad last week. thought that was really cool. But also some game day content. Love the pregame hit that you guys had as well on the turf, looking yeah. fresh. Um, really good stuff. But I think it's safe to say that we we know – I shouldn't say we know we, we, you know, maybe the doubts that we had this Vancouver team being like, Oh man, maybe this is just the same old warriors. Mm. I think after last game, I think we could say like, I think that the Malowski effect isn't maybe in full effect yet, but, but there is a difference. There is a different vibe. There's a different feel. And the new generation of this warriors team has, has happened, but of course it's still early. So we don't know if they are real kind of similar, maybe, to this Albany Firewolves team who's sitting at yeah. three and three and oh, Teddy, they beat a depleted Wings team fifteen to ten. Are they going to come down to earth, or is this is this just is this the Albany team that we should get used to to knowing? Yeah, well, my hot take brought uh, by Warrior last week was that Albany was going to be four and zero at the end of the year. They got to go to Saskatchewan for New Year's Eve or a game against the Rush. I think they can win that game. I think they can be four and zero. You know, Dougie's starting to look like the old Dougie. And what do you say about, you know, Simmons and Kurtz? Uh, just a fantastic duo for those Firewolves. 
But even Ethan Walker, man, like this guy is <laughs> massively underrated. And, and maybe oh, yeah. he just hasn't had the opportunity to shine for other spots when he's been in this league. But now, like a Zach Mans that we're going to talk to in a little bit, you know, you put a guy in a spot that is now allowing him to be a number one guy on his side of the floor when in years past they've been behind other superstars. It just allows these guys to shine, and it's just going to be awesome to see what he can do in a full 18-game schedule as a number one option. Man, Simmons could just blow some of the rookie numbers out of the water this year with how he's playing. Uh, Marshall Palace, I think, is going to be another breakout star. I've been talking about him for the past few weeks. But, it, you know, sure, no Blaze in the lineup, no Katoni in the lineup. But they still had Jones. They still had Reza Terrence. They still have Higgy between the pipes. Like it's not like the Wings only put out you know twelve guys all game. Like they still had an NLL full roster, and the Wolves beat them fifteen ten, and kind of a runaway game in the afternoon. I don't see any slowing down for this Wolves team at all. I think they all kind of saw the doubters and haters, and they probably have an entire locker room wall of social media posting how good these guys weren't going to be. And they had the early preseason rankings of where the where all us pundits had them. Uh, I think they're using that as motivation. I think they're a very motivated group. And the fact that they get Dyson next year, if they can continue building a fantastic season this year, who knows what's possible for this group? Because as we've talked about with the unified standings, a lot of teams, nine teams, are going to have to come to Albany this year. And that is not an easy road trip from anywhere. And mm-hmm. so that that takes a toll on teams. And I think if they can go 500 on the road and then use that home floor advantage um, to have a successful homestand, this is definitely a playoff team and a very dangerous team. So here, here is what I want to see. Uh, I want to see this team go through a, a couple of losses. I want to yeah. see this team – play a few more games, have a little more film on them. I want to see them. And I know you can say, well, Pat, they beat the bandits. They beat the bandits in the second game of the year where the bandits were playing their first game. That's really tough going up against a a team that's well-oiled. That's played a couple of games and and going in your first game, really difficult. That's what I want to see from this group, but I will put my hand up and say, I was absolutely wrong about this group. This is a much better team and will be a much better team than what we thought, than what I thought, and a lot of folks around the league thought. But I, to crown them or to be like, this is going to be a team that's going to win a championship or this is going to be a team that goes deep in the playoffs, I still think it's time to pump the brakes. Yeah. I they, they, really, they got this weekend off. They go to Sask. Uh, home to Halifax in the new year at Georgia at San Diego or sorry, home to San Diego, Vegas, Colorado. So there's, there's a three game stretch, Um, you know, Vegas, maybe again, a team that's still struggling, but San Diego, Colorado, those are tough teams. But again, those teams have to go to Albany. So Mm -hmm. yes, let's pump the brakes a bit, but three and O is a start that maybe nobody saw for this group Four and O. Uh, could be by the end of the seat by the end of the year. You take that all day long. Even if you're three and one going into the new year, if you're the Albany Firewolves, you're taking that all year long. Pump the brakes. And they're not world beaters yet, but this is a team 
that obviously has a lot of belief, a lot of talent, and is really going to be up there, let's hope, by the end of the year. And, and I, I think that's that's the big thing is that, again, they, they, they've already, they, you said it, they're using this as motivation they, and they're so young. They, it's almost like they don't know any better and they're just going yeah. out there and, and playing lacrosse. And that's so much fun to watch. The scary thing with this group is, you know, the defense hasn't kept it to single digits once. No. Doug Jameson. Like, against. What happens when this defense that was supposed to be their bread and butter and you know, their 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 heart and soul of this team and Doug Jamison. What happens when they start to get it together? Yeah. That is where this then maybe me saying, Oh, maybe they aren't like that's what I want to see. When the offense starts to slump, the good teams they find ways to win, right? And it's like, okay, the defense is gonna step up. Jamison is gonna step up. So again, kudos to them, three and zero um in the unified standings. This could be make or break between making the playoffs. This mm-hmm. is this is so huge. And I, I think what Glenn Clark and what this coaching staff has done is remarkable. Um, pump the brakes, but also give your – I think that's the best way to say it. Pump the brakes. Let's not crown them champs just yet. Let's not say they're world beaters, but let's also give them credit where it's deserved. They have blown expectations through the waters. But with that being said, when you break those expectations, expectations now are reset, and I want to see them continue to hold those expectations. Final game of the weekend, the Saskatchewan Rush got their first win. Um, obviously, a, a tough start going up against Halifax in game one, Rochester in game two. They go to Vegas this weekend, uh, a dominant win over Las Vegas. Um, Vegas did struggle. And, and I, they got the overtime win against Panther City. But I really feel like this team is taking a step back. I, I don't want to take anything away from Rush because they were fantastic. But this Vegas team just does not look like the Vegas team that was a very confident and, and tough to play against expansion team. No, it's it the the offense is especially has been <clears throat> really disappointing me. Excuse me. Um, like no knock on on Sean Wesley and Casey Jackson. Because a Sean Wesley's my my boy, coached him. Boy. So proud of him, what he's doing. Um, former I had, thank you, Jake. Um, and Casey Jackson. I mean, I've always been a big fan of his game. You know, was really pleased to see when he moved over here. Thought he was going to have a bigger role. But Jackson and, and Wesley can't be your two most consistent players to start. Like you're just not going to have a lot of success. You need more from Hellier. You definitely need more from Jack Hanna. And I guess maybe not too fair to say with Greer, because I think through the first two games, um, he was pretty solid. This game, not so much. But they need more. They need more from their big guns. They need more from Dylan Watson. And I know he's a rookie, but look what the rookies in in Albany are doing. Look what the rookies have done over the last couple. If you're a number one, number two, number three pick, like it's 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 not there shouldn't really be that big of a learning curve. You're expected to jump in right away. And and Watson doesn't matter if it's junior NCAA, every single level, senior, he's scored and put the ball in it. I think the ball is gonna eventually fall for him, but I think they probably would have expected a little more offense from him and from him. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it's the transition that's gonna need to step up. Guys like Connor Kirst. You know, guys like uh, you know Wagner, who who had a really good last year. Maybe they need to start stepping up and and scoring in transition to help out this struggling offense. I think they're going to figure it out. Um, 
I don't know if they're going to be able to figure it out enough, you know, to make it into the postseason because again, yeah. these unified standings are are so tough. To be one and two, it's definitely not too late, but they got to figure something out quickly, and, and it's it's got to come fast. Yeah, Hannah only one goals in his first three. I think when we were talking about, you know, will they or, or why they or won't they make the playoffs? I think my mind was, you know, if, if Jack Hanna has a regress in year two, this offense is going to struggle and the team is going to struggle. And obviously, it's all, not all on Jack Hanna; it's everybody. But yeah, he needs he needs to get going. He needs to get going fast to help this offense turn around. But Landon Kells hasn't been great either. Twelve point three seven goals against a seventy five point eight save percentage. Not terrible numbers, but – and, again, not all on him. The defense in front of him has to be better. But y- you need a goaltender to make some timely saves for you. When, you're, when your team is struggling, you need your goalie to bail you out once in a while. And he, he did that a little bit in the Panther City game, but in their two losses, he just – he hasn't looked the part. And that has to be concerning for Vegas as well because this is a goaltender-driven league. You need your goaltender to more often than not – be one of your top two best players each and every game if you're going to have success in this league. And they need the youngster landing Kells to really start to round into form. Um, but the rush just absolutely put it on them uh, this weekend. And that's a much better performance from this rush club. We talked about Vancouver not really figuring it out in their first cup in their first game. Uh, Saskatchewan really didn't have it in their first two games, gave up 17 to Halifax, 16 to Rochester, and then hold the Desert Dogs to five. It was Frankie's best game in a rush uniform. Uh, This was a night and day performance from the rush from their first two games. And it was from the get-go. Like it just, you know, we we talked to Zach Manns about the big difference and and what was said maybe before the game or, or leading up to it. But, it just looked like two completely different teams from what we saw through the first two to this game. And, uh, you know, offense, you know, that the offense really started to click. We obviously knew, you know, man's again, through his first two games, he was electric, no doubt. But, you know, I thought Dodds was really good with, you know, seven assists Keenan with a career game, one goal, nine assists, Um, you know, uh, a with a hat trick, the defense, though, was was mean, up in everyone's face, pushing the mm-hmm. ball in transition. Um, but again, you mentioned about Frank Chiliano. We've seen this like a lot from him in in the National Lacrosse League. Like when he's dialed, it is really hard to put the ball past him. Like how many low single digit games have we seen from him? You know, whether it's in you know uh, San Diego or now here, this is the first time he's done it here in 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 the uh, in the electric green and black, but. I thought he was so good. And you talk about how Kells didn't make those saves when you needed it. When there was any sort of pushback from Vegas or when there was a breakdown or uh, a chance in transition, Giuliano made that save and just did not allow Vegas to make any momentum. And it felt like almost like after that first quarter, I know it's a lacrosse, it's a game of runs, um, especially after half, but it felt so early that with the way that Giuliano was seeing the ball, there was no way a comeback was going to happen. It just the the the, the there. I just it was like, well, this game's over. The way that that he's playing and the way that this 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 entire team is playing. And you want to talk about you know being a, like on a mission, business serious. Uh, you know, I think it almost even starts with with Messenger. What a game he had. You know, yeah. goal four cause turnovers. 
uh, picked up, I think, a handful of loose balls. Like he was an absolute menace on the floor. And when you have a guy going out like that, you know, battling and and setting the tone that way, what not just the defense, the offense feeds off that. And and I, I just you know again, we harped on Vegas quite a bit and and deservedly, but you got to give credit for Sask. That yeah. was a just absolute manhandling of a game. Uh, in the opening game, Frankie only played half against Halifax. He had a 75% save percentage. In the loss to Rochester, he was 72.7. In the win over Vegas, 88.4% save percentage. Those are the type of numbers that they need to see Frank from Frank on a regular basis. Zach Manns is tied for the team lead with points, but he leads the team with 10 goals. He is my early season breakout player of the year, a good Victoria boy. He's living in Sask and he's having a blast. He joins us this week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. The Saskatchewan Rush uh, got off to a bit of a slow start in the National Lacrosse League season, but Zach Manns did not, and he joins us this week on the show. Zach, how are you, brother? I'm doing fantastic. How are you gentlemen doing? Uh, we cannot complain. Doing we good. get the weekend off just like yourself to sit back and enjoy some lacrosse. Um, how is your Christmas shopping going though? Uh, like I just said, I have not <laughs> even started. And that is a theme for the last since I've been Christmas shopping. So that's pretty classic. <laughs> how many people do you got to shop for? Uh, we're not. See, I got a big family, so yeah. usually we just do like a Secret Santa type of thing where you only got to get a gift for like one or two people just because uh, it's a lot of gifts if you got to get one for everyone, so it's yeah. not going to be too bad. Is there something you're you're really hoping for under your Christmas tree? Maybe a new set of kicks? Uh, to be honest, I was just in Vegas last weekend, so the, I'm good on the kicks after, <laughs> after blowing a bag, so... To be honest, I don't really need too much. A couple more wins for the rush would be nice, right? Yes, more points, more two more points on the on the old standing sheet. It'll be all right. There we go. Um, yeah, we, we talked about it. you guys got off to a bit of a slow start in the season with losses at Halifax and then Rochester. Obviously, a big win this past weekend in Vegas. But I want to backtrack. When did you hear about the trade? What were your thoughts when you found out you were going to Sask? Uh, see, I, I found out about the trade, like pretty much maybe a f- couple days before it, it was announced. So it was pretty much a shock to me just as, just as much as everyone else. Um, and yeah, like it, I kind of, I kind of had a feeling about a trade kind of early on in the summer, just from like some things I had heard from my Timberman coaches, but it was nothing like it was all up in the air and nothing had really been said. So I kind of had a feeling, but then when I got a call from Jamie and uh, I could just tell in his voice instantly, I knew exactly what it was. So yeah, it was a bit of a shock, but uh, I'm pretty happy to be in Saskatchewan. How much easier did it make the trade that one of your good buddies, Adam Jay, was was heading to to the prairies with you? Yeah, no, that was like pretty much the second thing Jamie said was, I'm not sending you there alone. You know, Adam's going to be there. And and then the next day I heard about Patrick getting traded to Sask. So that made it really easy just knowing right away that I'm going to have two guys that 
I'm good friends with that are going to be there and going to be in the same process as me. And Adam's still living in Toronto, right? Yeah. He's still up there, but you get to fly with Dodsey. What's he like as a travel partner? I'm actually, I'm actually living in Saskatoon now. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. How is that yeah. for you? Yeah, no, it's been going, uh, it's, it's definitely a, a different city than, than I've experienced before, but, uh, I'm like, we have, uh, we have a nice little setup. Uh, we all have our own spot in an apartment building. There's four other guys that, that are, that are living in markets. So it's, it's been great. A lot of fun. We've been to a lot of different restaurants for dinner and been able to train together. And it's, it's been, it's been great. So who's there? You, Jerry, Isaac? No, it's me, Jerry, Boudreaux, Kozevnikov, and Kid. Oh, nice. Okay. Then you're yeah. probably out doing a bunch of school stuff and, and being around the community and stuff like that, getting to know the place? Yeah, we haven't started any of the school stuff yet, but uh, I think in the new year, that's when it's going to start start going. But we've uh, we've been out in the community a little bit, pumped some gas at the co-op. <laughs> handed out some uh, gifts to season ticket holders. So, yeah, it's been fun meeting the people around the city. I think Teddy said slow start for the rush, but certainly not a slow start for you. A hot start, you know, big performance against Halifax. Follow it up with a, another couple of great games. Um, you mentioned, you know, how it was an opportunity for you uh, to, to be like a number one in an offense when you got traded from the rock who obviously have a ton of stars on that offense. Did you think that, you know, the transition would be this quick and you'd produce this quickly with this offense? Uh, to be honest, I, I feel like regardless of the, of the points, kind of the first two games, um, I feel like as a whole, we didn't really get, we didn't get the win. So that's the most important thing. So I think, Although I, I put up some decent points in those first two games, they don't really mean much without a win. So uh, I thought we could have been a little bit better for those first two, especially that first one. That was that was a tough one to start. Well, on that note, what was the big difference between game one and two to, to game three? Because it looked like just something clicked from the offense to the defense to Frankie in between the pipes. It just seemed like the two, the two games, the two teams we saw in, in, in the start of the season, just completely different from the squad that rolled out in Vegas. Yeah, for sure. Like we're still a, a relatively new group, right? Like we've only, only had two kind of preseason games and then like a handful of practices along with that for training camp. So that first game, we were still kind of getting a feel on, on each other's games. And I don't think that uh, – I think for those first two games, we just weren't firing on all cylinders, right? Like there was maybe a quarter of the offense was playing great, defense was maybe struggling a little bit, and then vice versa. So for that Vegas game, you know, going being down 0-2, like our captain Ryan said, listen, like in the locker room in Rochester, he's like, listen – Next weekend, it's another great opportunity. And he essentially said it was a must-win game. So, yeah, because you can't be down 0-3 going going to start, start the year. So it was a very important game to win that one last weekend. And, and it showed on the score sheet. It showed in the, on, the, uh, on the Jumbotron. Like, we put it all together. And that's, I think, more of a Saskatchewan rush performance that you're going to see. 
When you look at this coaching staff, it's a little different than the Toronto coaching staff. How is it adjusting to Jimmy Quinlan, Jeremy, and Bruce? Oh, it's been super easy. You know, I've been super fortunate in my uh, Ford NOL career to be coached by some great coaches already. And uh, it's been super easy transitioning into uh, Jimmy, Bruce, and Jeremy's Jeremy's coaching schemes. They're, uh, they're great coaches. They have great energy. And it's just been super fun to be around right from the beginning. You're obviously new with the rush, and so is Bruce Alexander to the NLL coaching staff. How has he been in his first year? Has, have you noticed some some nerves on the big fella? <laughs> no nerves, no nerves. He's uh, he's cool as a cucumber out there. Uh, <laughs> he, I, I didn't really have a relationship with Bruce before before the season. Didn't really know him too well. Obviously, played against him this summer when he was coaching for the Shamrocks. Yeah, um, but. Before before the season, I had only heard great things around around the community in Victoria. A lot of people know about him. He was a great player, and now he's a great coach. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, he's he's kind of like a player's coach, right? He wants to get input from all the players. He wants to know what what you guys want to do. Like it's all about the players with him. And uh, I think it's I think it's start to uh, it's going to be a great great year for our offense led by him. You obviously said that you had some familiarity with some of the players. Obviously, you know, Dodds comes with you. Jay comes with you. You have, you know, you know, some guys across the league from just playing against them or, or, you know, watching tape. Who's maybe one player on this rush team? Doesn't have to be offensively, maybe even defensively. And once you arrived at training camp, you're like, oh, oh, this guy's, this guy's a lot better than I thought. This guy's a player. Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't say I got one guy for sure. Mike Messenger. Um, I'd say he's probably one of the most criminally underrated players in the league. Um, I mean, obviously everyone knows that he's an absolute beast and can lay the boom on guys, but he's just an incredibly skilled all around lacrosse player. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, like on defense, obviously he's probably, I, I would say before I joined Sask, he was probably the most intimidating guy in the league to me. <laughs> just because he kind of has that that aura around him and he's super quiet guy but just looks like an absolute killer and that's how he plays so but definitely mike messenger i was super impressed with his uh his skill around the net and just his all-around game he's an incredible player is, is he there's, the there's hardest quite a few guys there's quite a few guys like that does he throw the hardest cross checks uh well, I mean, he's pretty nice to me in practice. I think, <laughs> I think if he actually wanted to crush me, he could. <laughs> so he takes um, it. He takes it semi easy on the on the fellas. <laughs> we we talked about you know you having a hot start, but I really think it's kind of been been curtailed by the summer you had in Nanaimo. Are you starting to really feel comfortable at this level of lacrosse now after a bit of a slow start? For sure, for sure. I think uh, you could see in my summer game that the game kind of slowed down a bit for me in the last year or so, and I uh, feel like I've been been able to finally kind of get completely comfortable playing with with grown men and playing with all the guys around me. And I think it was a great great start to the year for me with the summer season, and I'm just looking to keep that going for the uh, for the winter. And I know and you're when, go sorry, ahead. go ahead, Danny. No, no, you're good. Okay. Go ahead. Follow okay. up. 
Um, <laughs> you, you used, you know, obviously uh, you had an incredible junior career in Victoria. What did you learn about yourself from those junior days to now in the National Cross League that, that made you become who you are right now? Yeah, you know, I think uh, that was kind of my first taste of uh, of the big stage in lacrosse, I guess you could say. You know, being in BC, playing junior, you know, it's not the most coveted league um, as far as just media, big games, all that type of stuff. So I think when uh, when the stage was set in Langley and we finally had a chance to compete in the Minto, I think that was it was just kind of a way for us to see, like, you can – you can play on the big stage and obviously we didn't get the, didn't get the job done there, but it showed that, you know, not only just me, but every guy on that team can, uh, can play on that stage and succeed. I know you're a big basketball guy. What, uh, what with basketball has helped you in your game in lacrosse? I think a ton, I think kind of goes back to, uh, I, yeah, I feel like basketball is probably the most similar sport to lacrosse in an athletic aspect. You know, you're always making the same kind of moves and cuts and shifting your body in the same ways. So I can contribute basketball, I think, a lot to my success uh, as an athlete. In high school, I used to get up early before school and go shoot around in the, during the season. And it was like whatever sport I was playing kind of I was training for that specific sport in high school during the year. So I got a lot of different cross training. I think that's part of the reason I'm a, I'm a pretty decent athlete is just playing all those different sports growing up. And I can, I can attribute that to my parents, just not letting me stick to one sport, kind of spreading the message that you're going to be a way better athlete when it's all said and done, if you continue to play all these different sports. And that's kind of a, uh, something I preach to the younger kids that I've been coaching the last few years. Like, don't don't quit these other sports soccer basketball hockey for lacrosse because in the end playing them is just going to make you a better better athlete in your specific sport when it's all said and done you were with toronto for a couple years um you know they're a very veteran experienced team the rush have some veterans but maybe not on the level of toronto but how would you compare uh the two teams yeah, right. I'd say uh, I'd say the Sask locker room is it's it's definitely a bit different for sure. Like with all the, with all the young guys, I'd say everyone is uh, everyone likes to hoot and holler a little bit and give each other trouble and and all that. <laughs> and it's it's all a lot of fun in the locker room. And I mean, on, honestly, in Toronto, regardless of of the vets and how serious a lot of our games were and the pressure, like it was still the same thing everyone liked to enjoy themselves joke around have fun I mean that's what it's all about right regardless if you're winning games or not and in a playoff position like game is all about having fun so if you're not doing that then I don't really know why you're playing still so honestly it's pretty it's different but it's also similar in a sense you you mentioned obviously the there is a clear difference between the locker locker rooms, but you know, one glaring thing I think you, you can say is, you know, when you were in Toronto, you had one of the greats in Dan Dawson uh, as a mentor. What, what did he do to help you as, as a player and help you excel in the national lacrosse league as a pro? I can't say enough good things about Dan. You know, he really helped me uh, in my first few, I mean, not even, he helped me my whole time in Toronto. Like he, 
he's one of the greatest guys of all time I've ever met. Um, he'll do anything for a teammate. It's, you can see why he's won teammate of the year multiple times. Like he's a winner. He's a competitor. Um, he pushes you, he holds you accountable, teaches you things, has you over for dinner with his family. Like he, yeah, he, he made things really easy for me. And you were just a young seven-year-old pup when he was out here playing for Victoria in that 05 man cup. Do you remember kind of growing up watching him and, and watching that, that Victoria team? Dan Dawson in Toronto. I mean, yeah, he was like, he was like one of my favorite players, if not my favorite player growing up. So it was super special to be able to share the floor with him. But I remember a ton of things from watching him back in the day uh, with the Sharamocks. And then also with, uh, funny enough, I used to do his revival lacrosse camps, which are a throwback. If you know, you know, yeah, back in the day. <laughs> um, so ever since then, yeah, I kind of just idolized Dan growing up as a young buck. So super special to be able to share the floor with him before he retired. Um, you you mentioned, obviously, new to And he still yes. remembers everyone from those camps still. It's pretty funny. I'd be hanging out with him and he just asked me about just some random, random kid that even I hadn't seen in, in years and asking me about them and how they're still doing and all that. So he... He remembers every kid he coaches, and that I think that's the sign sign of a great coach. Like he he doesn't forget. Talk to me about that lime green turf. I haven't seen it in person. Uh, you've got a chance to play on it now. Um, obviously, a lot of people had issues with the Calgary turf, but seeing that Saskatchewan turf up close and personal, what is it like, and how bright is it? The turf, uh, I think it. I thought I think it's spectacular, to be honest. Uh, when I first saw the photos of it, I thought, I thought it looked clean, but it was also had the, had the rush green and it, and it pops. And I think the black accents at the back with the Tim Hortons crease, I think it looks, I think it looks great. I think, I think it also doesn't, the color does, isn't done justice on TV. I think you gotta get out, get out to Sastel center and see it in person. Cause I think it pops a little extra in person and looks just a little bit better than on TV. You grew up with Victoria lacrosse fans. You played in Toronto. You played in Nanaimo. But is there anything like a Saskatchewan Rush fan base? The fans here, are they're incredible, right? Being in a big market in Toronto, you know, it's obviously there's a ton of fans of the Rock. But um, it just, it's a different feeling in Saskatoon, right? With they have the, They have the Blades and they have the Rush essentially. So we're kind of the biggest, the biggest show in town. And it's a lot of fun to see all the support in the community and uh, how much, how much people enjoy the SAS games and, and how they're mark, pretty much marking every home game down on their calendar. And you guys have this weekend off. Uh, then you get Albany uh, at home on New Year's Eve. That's going to be a special night. Uh, appreciate your time, my man. Um, obviously, an incredibly hot start. I love seeing you have success. I uh, can't wait to see you in the new year when we get out there for the TSN game. But stay warm. Enjoy the winter. And happy holidays, my man. All right, there's Zach Mann's uh, little abbreviated chat with Zach because he was having some technical issues with the internet here on the island. It's always tough to get good internet on the island when you're so 
you know, far off from the rest of the world and isolated <laughs> way out here. But you know what? It, you can you you can take my Wi-Fi. You can take my good connection. I'll take your weather. I'll take golfing all year long. <laughs> That's a great trade-off because. You know what, Teddy? My internet's not too great, and I can't golf. It's minus five outside. This is a joke. This is an absolute joke. Um, it's just awesome to hear a young player have confidence and start and, and really start to believe in himself. But I just love, you know, I remember when Dawson was out here and he was doing his revival camps, and, and he really did take a lot of time with the young kids out here. But the fact that he remembers a lot of those kids from those camps and and how much he really instilled belief in so many young lacrosse players throughout his career. Um, I don't think he really got enough credit for that, but it's just great to see a guy like Zach Mann's now starting to shine in Saskatchewan with a team that, you know, he can really call home and, and be a huge part of. You, we always knew he had it in him and maybe, you know, admittedly, maybe not this, this much, this, this quick, <laughs> But it is so hard, you know, when you are, uh, you know, a third option on an offense, when you have guys in front of you getting more touches to have that impact. We saw in certain games, you know, a couple games against Halifax in the playoffs or even the regular season, like he really came up and and stepped up in big moments. Um, But to have that game by game consistency where you're putting up big numbers, it's really hard unless you're one of those top two options when you're on the power play. So you knew it was just a matter of, of opportunity, but this is more than just opportunity. He's taken the opportunity and absolutely run with it. And it's really great to see because, um, you know, he is a, he's a great guy. Um, and I think he hopefully has found a great home in, in Saskatchewan um, for a long time. That's a great fan base. They're going to treat him like gold if he continues yeah. to play like this. And I guarantee you there's already a lot of man's jerseys in that building. He could become a cult icon in that market. Well, it's nice, you know, you have a guy around your organization for a decade and Mark Matthews, and then you bring in a guy like Zach Bands who could eventually be the next Mark Matthews for that franchise. Just awesome to see. He's got 10 and 7 this year. His career high is 39 points. He's going to shatter that. He's only oh, yeah. seven, eight goals away from a career high. He's going to shatter that. Um, and we all joke about how Dane Doby is the fastest guy out of that front gate when the long pass is coming. <laughs> Uh, Zach Manns definitely has to be up there as well because he is a threat out that front door, loves taking to the air, uh, and I'm glad that he finally got some new shoes because those red ones were trash. Um, <laughs> just happy happy for Zach. You know, he talked about the 2019 Minto Cup and what a, what a gutting loss for that group, uh, but it's so awesome to see so many of that group from Madronic to Dunkerley to Dodsey to, to – um, why can't I think of his name? The guy in Halifax, Maxie Wilson. How can I forget Max? And Zach Mads. Like, this is a group that uh, that paid their toll. And now so many of them are in the National Crossing. It is a very positive outlook for the future of the game. So let's keep things positive. Oh, we uh, got to stay positive, right? We got to give them that. Positive vibes only. For me this week, it was an announcement from World Lacrosse and the fact that there will be 38, yes, 38 teams competing at Utica in September 2024 at the World Box Championships or the World Indoor Lacrosse Championships, whatever you want to call it. Um, and there are 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten women's teams. That might be the biggest story of it all coming from the world lacrosse group is that Australia, Canada, England, Finland, Germany, the Haudenosaunee, Hong Kong, China, Ireland, Netherlands, and USA will all compete in the women's division, which this is going to be the first ever women's box across championships. And the fact that right out of the gate, we're going to get 10 women's team just is an amazing spot for the sport to be. Yes, there's 18 men's teams. Canada, Haudenosaunee, Jamaica, Mexico, Puerto Rico, USA, and the U.S. Virgin Islands are sort of the North American Western Hemisphere teams. And you have Australia, China, Chinese Taipei, Hong Kong, China, Japan, all from the Pacific Asian nations. Then in Europe, Austria, Belgium, Czech Republic, England, Finland, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Ireland, Israel, Italy, Netherlands, Poland, Scotland, Slovakia, and Switzerland. I am going to blow up my bank account in getting team swag from the world championships because there is going to be so many great shirts, hats, and jerseys. But more importantly, the growth of the game at this level, at the international level, competing, leading up to the Olympics, it's incredibly, incredibly positive. And I'm just so thrilled for the growth of the women's game as well. I, yeah, I saw, like, there was some discourse that was like, oof, like, there's so many teams, like, the lower-end levels, like, ugh, like, it, it could it could get ugly. Um, yeah. But, like... I get okay again. Like you can't compare like what you're gonna see in that main group to what you're gonna see in the lower levels, and, and because again, that's why they're gonna have two different groups. But also, this is all about getting these these newer nations at the same venues as the best of the best. Yep. To see what Canada versus Haudenosaunee looks like, to see what Tom Schreiber looks like up close and personal. That is the 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 opportunity that these nations are going to get, and to see that, and and you 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 saw firsthand in San Diego how much it meant for those yeah. nations to just have a catch with the Canadian team, and I know the Team US got a lot of flack for not doing that kind of stuff and and not being around, and that's important. That's a big part. You want to talk about hashtag grow the game? Well, it's more than just a hashtag. It's doing little things like that, and this is the perfect way to to grow it. Um, Utica, this this venue is perfect. It's awesome. It's a be- like beautiful state of the art venue. I believe there's two or three. There's three pads in the one. There's the main pad, and then two other ones, and then there's also the big the bowl. Uh, which is the the iconic building that the Utica Comets play at? Almost looks like a miniature um, Madison Square Garden. I think that's probably where the big games will be played. But yeah. for for you, not just for these guys, but for like the lacrosse fan themselves to be able to walk from rink to rink to watch yes. all these different games, that's so massive. You don't have to yeah. worry about hopping in a car and driving to a different location and having different practices here and there. It's all in one place. Everyone yeah. from all around the world, and you mentioned it with the, the growth of the women's game, so huge involving them as well. This is going to be one great big celebration that once this happens, you know, then we're like, oh crap, like we're this is like almost like a kickoff party 
to the big yeah. guys in yeah. in twenty eight with LA. The, the so before we let you go for your positive thought, you mentioned sort of the San Diego aspect of it all. When you look back, there yes, there was the odd blowout game, but for the most part, all those games were highly competitive yeah. and very heated. Like these teams aren't going to ever want to lose to each other in those lower divisions because they want to prove that they're the next up and coming country. And with the state of you know the European box scene already, that group of European teams that has been playing box across for. 10, 15, 20 years, there's not going to be a huge, you know, drop off. Sure. There'll be some countries that are just kind of getting into it, but I I think we're going to see some of the best games are going to come from that lower group. And it's just going to be incredible to see. I cannot wait. Um, It's still what? 10 months away or whatever it is to September of next year. But man, Get excited because this is going to be uh, one of the best world box championships. I know Jumbo posted the the Canada Haudenosaunee championship game from the last world championships out here in Langley and how special that game was. Uh, man, I can't wait for, for Utica next year. Uh, it's it's going to be amazing. Um, I, I'm going to have to be there. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a long a drive brainer. for me. What's that? It's a no-brainer to be there. It's you have to I absolutely have to. Uh, was there for the NCBS a little bit of a drive, but it was it that was worth the drive. Um, for that few days, this is going to be even worth it as well. So <laughs> it's not a few days to drive there, it's a few days of being there. It just yes, feels yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. It's like, uh, well, maybe we can carpool. There we go. Perfect. I'll pick, I'll pick you up on 990. Exactly. But, um, just quickly though, before we go off this topic, Team Jamaica. Stone Jacobs, um, Marcus Minichiello is probably going to be there. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think we're going to see some other um, Canadian and possibly even U.S.-born players that maybe weren't involved with the field game that are going to say, listen, I, I got to, I got to be here. I got to be there. And I think they're going to be, they're going to be a great team. They're going to be a fun team to watch. Yeah. Agree. And, and one more thing, the, the, you know, we, the number of former or current NLLers that are going to be on some of these coaching staffs, yeah, it's going to be awesome to see as well. Like I know Chris Panos is with Greece. Um, you know, Walt Christensen, my old coach, is with England. I think uh, you know TK was with Finland for a while. Like there's going to be some names on some of those benches that you're going to be like, oh, that, that's kind of cool to see. And these guys are going to get a great opportunity uh, to learn from some of the best as well. So Utica 2024. 38 teams, 10 women's, 18 or what's that, 28 men's teams. It's going to be phenomenal. So for my positive vibes only, you kind of already touched on it. And again, I wanted you to run with this one because this is the absolute no-brainer. But it kind of does tie in. Um, potential and most likely Team USA. Yes, I know he's born and raised in Pickering, Ontario. But he does have dual citizenships. And him and his brothers were out running with Team USA. I'm talking about the Robinsons. This is turning oh, no. into a Yes, I know, I know, I know. You thought you liked liked them, and then you find out they're part American. No, just kidding. But keeping, you know, this is becoming a, a Brandon Rob Robinson pod because my thoughts <laughs> of mine is, is to him. What a you you want to talk about uh, a team guy to call yeah. up your GM 
and say, listen, my bo- my brother's now hurt. He's on the IR. We're missing a bunch of guys out the back door. I've played D in this league before. I, I if you need me, I can go. We got you know we got the depth on on the left side. I can go back and play D, and he did a hell of a job doing it. Scored in transition. You know he got the belt at the end of the game. And again, what makes Buffalo so special? Yeah, sure. Dane Smith, Josh Byrne. Matt Vincent between the pipes, Steve Priolo. But the what what really I think separates this bandits team from others' teams and why they won the championship is those character guys that are in the middle of the roster, like the Brandon Robinson. I know he didn't get to play in that championship, but when you look at the buy-in that that team has, yeah. um, and it's stuff yeah. like this. It's it's huge. So kudos to B Rob for for taking one for the team. You might have cost yourself some goals this year because you've played so well in the back and you might be back there for a little while. Um, but kudos for him for, for stepping up and, and, and uh, taking one for the team. All right. Week three in or sorry, week three, what are we week five now in the national crossing is a quiet week. The quietest week so far that we've had only three games, two Friday, one on Saturday, Toronto at Panther City on Friday night and Georgia at Colorado. We, we both agree that Georgia-Colorado is probably the marquee match of the weekend with Vancouver and Rochester on Saturday. But let's start Toronto at Panther City. The Rock had, what, only played once this year? Yeah. Um, you know, the very quiet start to their schedule. Obviously, it was a great start to their schedule. But now they go on the road down to fourth against the Panther City team. Um, that is a little reeling after that overtime loss. They probably – believe that they should be 2-0. But this is a, a huge game for both clubs. But for the Toronto Rock, a game on the road, to really see if the hype is real after a, a game one where everything went their way. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like, let's let's see some adversity. And I think it was Nick Rose. I don't know where, where it was. Maybe it was on um, Rock City Unplugged. But he said, that, you know, we're a team that, you know, in the past we've struggled in December. You know, we've come out flat in some games, and especially when it comes to on the road. This is a spot where you can't come flat. Like uh, Panthers, I know Panther City is not a, a raucous atmosphere, but sometimes that's actually hard. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, come that tough travel flying into the busy d- airport that is Dallas, Dallas-Fort Worth, taking the drive to Fort Worth. You know, it's going to be not midweek, but on a Thursday. You show up. And you go in a building that's, you know, definitely not the epitome of electricity. Kind of tough to get up, right? It's, yeah. it's tough to yeah. get up. And, and you have a team in Panther City on the flip side that is hungry. They're looking for a bounce back. They had a week off. They're rested. Uh, and they're going to be ready to roll. I don't think we're going to see Tom Schreiber. We haven't seen him activated from all indications from I've heard. It sounds like we probably don't see Captain America maybe till next week but likely probably in 2024. But as they proved in game one, I know they only scored 11, uh, but for three quarters, that offense looked pretty solid. I think they probably pick up where they come, uh, where they left off last, and and Mark Matthews really snaps it around. And uh, New York uh, hosts Toronto next weekend on December 30th. So, yeah, so maybe because it's a New York game, Tom Traber would want to be back in it. uh, actually, that one that game is in Toronto. In Toronto. TSN game. TSN game, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I think if they can sit him out to the new year, make sure he's fully healthy, um, 
and you're three and oh going to the new year i think you're pretty happy and obviously then you can slide tribes back in but for this panther city club i think you need to have you need to forget that overtime loss it was just a, a complete brain fart at the end of the game they literally had the game in their hands in their stick with 15 20 seconds left all they had to do was just run that ball out of their zone and hold possession and they win it uh, they give up the late goal and then the overtime goal and it just it was just a a massive massive i don't know i don't know how to say it just a collapse at the end of that game for panther city i that's not what you expect from a TK team. That's not expect you expect from a team led by Matt Hosick and and Jonathan Donville. This is a team that that needs to be better. It needs to to play a full sixty. And I think we're going to see a much better effort. Mm-hmm. I think Nick Damood needs to to be a little more consistent. They need some more goals out of the transition. So I think we'll see a better Panther City team over sixty minutes. But I think they're just kind of up against against the Toronto team that is just jam packed with all stars and they're going to have to come ready to play. So uh, a tough one for Panther city at home in what is going to be probably a very quiet arena as it often is. Um, but you're right. It, it is tough to get up for those games just because there's no buzz. There's no electricity. There's no vibes going on. Um, and you know, you can't use a, let's take the crowd out of the game because <laughs> there's not that, that energy, right. And that, that, that conceded momentum builder that is yeah. such as bandit land. So, uh, that is game one on Friday. Game two, the rematch of the feistiness from two weeks ago, Georgia at Colorado. Jeff Hendrick served suspension last weekend, so he will be in the lineup. I doubt we see any carryover, but there could st- still be some bad blood in this game. Um, much like Tom Driver, we haven't seen any news on Dylan Ward, so that's something to keep an eye on uh, for you Mammoth fans and all those of you that are going to be you know, heading over to Cool Bet, maybe laying some wages before the New Year's. I kind of like a bounce back from Georgia, but Colorado is a tough animal to beat at home. Yeah, this. I, I actually wanted to pose this question for you: Who needs it more? And I know, yeah, saying like must win. Although, <laughs> apparently in Saskatchewan, throwing out that term that early was was not too early indeed. But you got to feel like this is a huge spot for both teams. Who needs it more? Is it is it a Georgia team that started out with a win and then really fell flat on their face on the road? Or is it a Colorado team that have only played one game and it's so yeah. hard to get your feet under when you're, you're not really playing and you're starting down 0-1? Yeah, that's a tough call because Georgia has, is at Colorado at Buffalo to end the year. So they have a very tough stretch. The end of the season is five straight home games. This is a time where they need to start winning some games on the road. So I think this is massively important. But for Colorado, especially without Dylan Ward in the net for however long he's in, they need to start finding some wins. I think at home, um, a rematch game against a team that that hung 16 on you, I think this is a much more important game for the Colorado Mammoth because they're not going to have Ryan Lee all season long. Who knows when Dylan Ward's going to come back. They need to have a better effort, especially at home, in front of that crowd that, like we talked about in Buffalo and the anti-Panther City, can really be a motivator in games. When things start going away and they start having success, that crowd is loud. You've been there. You know what it's all about. If they can get that crowd on their side, it's a tough place to play. And Georgia hasn't had a lot of success there, so... 
I think for Colorado, it is a much more important game for them to win at home, having coming off a loss on the road to Colorado or in Georgia. What do you think? This I, I it's crazy to say a team that's only played one game, you're looking at must win territory, but I, I think I lean more Colorado. I think starting the year off 0 and two. Like I said, a really weird start to the season regarding the, you know, it's December 21st and and we've only seen them once. Um, But mind you, you mentioned, does Dylan Ward play? Um, We haven't seen him activated just yet. So I think it's a massive game for either. And I think when all is said and done, when the dust settles, like, I don't know, I, I do both these teams make the postseason. I don't know if they do, but if, if one of them doesn't, they're probably looking at this game here and saying, damn, a win late December probably could have been big. I think Colorado, I think you got to go Colorado because, you know, them saying we dropped two to Georgia. Um, yeah. You just can't. You, you you need to split or win as many series um, as possible to get into the, the playoffs when it comes to the unified standings. Yeah, exactly. Because the, those doubleheader games, as much as we talk about like every game, is a tiebreaker game. Double headers become, or the the team you play twice in a season, you have to go at best 50% in those to, I think, really have any chance, especially Mm -hmm. if you're one of those mid-level clubs. If you're going 0 for 2 against the club and you're battling for a playoff spot, that's those are going to be the games that you're right. You look back on and say, shit, we really had a great chance, but we lost those two games to Georgia in December and that put us out. So, um, I think for Georgia, they need a better result from better Do- Brett Dobson. He was 79.6% against Colorado. He was 68.2% against Vancouver. And for any goaltender anywhere, that is not a good number. So he, he's going to have to have a better performance. But you're right. This is a much, for me, a much more important game for the Colorado Mammoth. And if you're interested in betting on the Mammoth, we got some help for you. Time now for Box Bet. Your source for all the lines, odds, and props from across the world of lacrosse. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> all right, last week, the fans were prophetic. And we finally won one. We're on the board. Easy money, if you ask me. Buffalo, Vancouver, Albany, all plus one and a half. They all covered, and that ended up being a plus 465. Unfortunately, if you had a card, Patty, wouldn't have nope. paid out. Nope. But fans have another good one for us this week. Yeah, and you said if you're looking to bet on Colorado, well, it seems like the voters are looking to bet on Colorado. Um, last week they went the spread. Maybe they're feeling a little frisky here in week number five. It's Toronto to win, Colorado to win, Vancouver to win. All of the money line doesn't matter. No spread, just win, just win, baby, as they say. Plus six one five. That's the boosted price from plus five fifty four. The best price you'll find for this combined parlay in the entire market. I, yeah, I think the the 
the betting on Colorado without knowing the status of Dylan Ward is going to be a tough one. Um, I like Vancouver to win, or sorry, I like Toronto to win. Vancouver is a tough one. All the way out to Rochester, they're they're driving back to Toronto that night, and I think they're on a 9 a.m. flight Christmas morning, so they can all be back for Christmas with their families. That that's a tough road trip, uh, but. That, at plus six to fifteen, I don't know how you, you wouldn't want to get involved in that. That's a, a real good number. But there are some other interesting numbers out there. Again, a very quiet week. If I had a card, Pat, let's hear it. I would take the Georgia money line. You know, not knowing knowing the status of Dylan Ward as it is right now, I'm taking the Rock minus two and a half. I think they handle Panther City easily. That's at minus one thirty. And then over in the Rochester-Vancouver game at minus 133, that's a nice little plus 464 before Christmas. Um, but, you know, on those straight money line, Vancouver's plus 135, Rochester's minus 164. Colorado, a slight dog, or a slight favorite at home at plus 100. Sorry, I guess they're a dog at plus 100, yeah. right? Yeah. So they- a slight dog at home, Georgia minus 122. Uh, Toronto, obviously the, the biggest favorite at minus 270, Panther City at plus 210. So two close game or a close game, a very lopsided game and a middling game between Vancouver and Rochester. So, but as we say, the cool betters um, are very smart cool betters. They certainly are. They were last week. We'll see if we can keep the hand hot. You mentioned that Vancouver Rochester game and the over. I like that over. Rochester, though, I mean, they got to find a way to, excuse me, to keep the ball out of the net. They have really struggled defensively, but they can score Mm -hmm. the ball. Um, But, you know, I, this one, this one from a bet, like from an actual, you know, who, who's going to win betting perspective, like, I think, I think if this game's in Vancouver, I mean, if this place is after, let me change it. If this is at like a, uh, a mutual venue site, neutral site game. I think I'm betting Vancouver. But the fact that Vancouver has to travel all the way to Rochester around Christmas time with so many different mm. distractions, I just that that seems that seems like a lot to deal with. And Rochester is a good team. I know I said I, I'm really questionable about their goaltending and their defense right now, but they can score the ball. Um but again, I don't have a strong enough feel on either side. I think this is a coin flip game. Right now, you can get Vancouver plus one and a half at plus money. So that's not a bad bet there. Maybe wait till the alt lines come out on the weekend. Yeah. If you get plus uh, two and a half, not quite as good value. That might be like minus 120, 115-ish. Um, so the payout's not as good. But I think the Warriors got to be able to keep it within two in this game, no? Yeah, I think so. And and I asked you this question two weeks ago. Who do you start if you're Mike Hazen? Oh, boy. I, I said it was an easy no-brainer going with, with Hartley, but it, it sounded like he actually wasn't ready to go. And, and I don't know. I really don't know. I, I guess. I guess. Yeah, I guess, I guess it all comes to the status of Ryan Hartley. But I think even if he's healthy – I think you got to go with the other guy. I think you have to. Yeah, Hutch, Hutch, what? Hutch is down 2 0. I think think you're right. I think you got to roll with him. I think you got to roll with him. You know, he he won on the road in Sask. His first start of the season, he came in 
uh, in relief of Hartley and won the first game of the season. I think you got to show faith in the guy, um, especially if, if Hartley is a little iffy um, come game time. So uh, those are your three games of the weekend, Toronto, Rock, Panther City, Georgia Swarm at Colorado, Vancouver at Rochester. Again, uh, our line this week as chosen by you, the fans, Toronto, Vancouver, Colorado, all on the money line, plus 554, juiced up to 615. Thanks to all those over at CoolBet. Again, if you want to join the fun, CoolBet.com, find the lacrosse tab, and then join along on the OTCB parlay. If you want to get involved, how do they do it, Pat? You head on over to CoolBet.com. You're going to see in the top right corner, it's going to say log in or you're going to join because you need to register. So click that register mm-hmm. button, type in all your information. Um, but before you do that, there's going to be another green button. Deposit. Before you make that first deposit, type in the bonus code OTCB and CoolBet will double your first deposit up to $200, give you some extra cash to play with, whether it's the NLL, the World Juniors, got odds for that, the Spangler Cup. That's where our producer Peter Buchanan is going to be over the next few weeks. Over in Davos, Switzerland, bowl games uh, for college. Got NHL still going on. And there is, yes, exactly, bowl game. It is a great time to be a cool better. So make sure you use that OTCB bonus code. I'll let the folks at CoolBet know where you came from. Helps out the pod, and I'll help you out. Add a little more jingle to your pocket. And as we always say, stay cool. Bet responsibly. That was the loudest one yet. Um, all right, time for the NLL Jersey Journey. Last week took me a while, but I was able to figure it out. Uh, I got a tough one for you here, and I'm looking forward to it. Again, this is all thanks to um, the stats over at NLLstats.com and the guru Graham Perro. Which player had this NLL career path? Started in Rochester for six years. Went to Vancouver for one year, San Jose for a year and a half, then Arizona for a year and a half, before finishing his career in Calgary for two seasons. Pat Gregoire, who is this player? You said it's a tough one. I think I've got this already. Oh, wow. Is this Mouse? What? I thought that was going to be a tough one. <laughs> so, I mean, okay. So when I, okay. in full disclosure, folks, um, this was in our show notes. So I got a little bit of a, of a head start before when I, I looked at it today, but basically what, what I, I saw was Rochester for six and then Arizona Calgary. When I saw mm. Roch for six started going to my head, but the, that the, the Arizona to Calgary for two and then career done. That was the dead giveaway that it was mouse. Oh, well, going to have to be better next time. And, and more here. you kind of, you kind of showed your hand. You said, maybe I'll keep it with the defensive coordinators or maybe not. So I was like, did okay. I say that this week? Last week. Last, oh, last week. last week. Right. We went two defensive coordinators Stupid. in a row. So I knew it wasn't going to be a defensive coordinator. I think they were <laughs> the end of thinking it was. But um, um, nice one, well done. Um, we didn't say this stat on the TSN broadcast, but um, who are little trivia question for you? You should, you should be able to get this one. But who are the only two head coaches in the NLL to have never played an NLL game? 
Oh, uh, that would be Ed Camo and Matt Sawyer. Correct. I just love that there are so many former players that are coaches at the highest level in the National Lacrosse League. You go through some of the other leagues that are out there, like football, like the amount of head coaches in the NFL that like never actually played NFL football, the amount of coaches in the NHL that never made it to the show. Um, baseball is a little different. I think a lot of baseball managers were fo- former MLB guys. But the fact that out of 15 teams, 13 of our head coaches were in the National Crossing at some point, I, I just absolutely love that about our league. Yeah, it's so unique, and and you you know you can even trail a lot of it back to the the coaching tree of of Les Bartley and, yeah. and what he did, and and you know just go down the list whether you coached with him, or you played for him, <laughs> uh, it just uh, his fingerprints are all over the coaches of the National Lacrosse League. But it is it's so unique. Uh, but you got to give kudos to to Camo and and to Sawyer to be the two lone guys that haven't played at, at the national lacrosse mm-hmm. league level and are still able to, to command that respect and to be able to, to run a national lacrosse league bench because you look across and, you know, you're going up against guys that have won in all championships that are in the hall of fame. And um, for them to be able to do that without playing it, it, it just goes to show you not only the, the knowledge that they have, um, for the game, but just the the way that they're able to coach and and you know, speaking of your broadcast partner Brad Challer on Coach's Call this week, Matt Sawyer was on there and, and he said he took a lot from from T from um from you know from Terry Sanderson saying like you know surround yourself with great play people and and surround yourself with with good assistant coaches and he's done that in in Toronto um, and. When you look at a Camo, like yes, he's a great X's and O's coach, but what makes him so special is like his coaching of players individually and getting the most out of those players, developing those players, the relationships they build. Because um, those two guys there, yeah, what they lack in NLL playing experience, they make it up in so many different areas. And let's not forget, Sean Ferris has been Eddie Camo's ride or die for yeah. nearly 20 years in the national crossing like eddie brought chai on to be like a scout and a video guy when Les brought eddie in and yeah. they've been together ever since and just it's just awesome to see that relationship um of how those guys have throughout their career um i almost want to say that eddie's coached against every other other than matt sawyer every current nll head coach Eddie coached against them or with them when he, when they were players. He's been around that long. It, it checks out. I would definitely say that, you know, him as an assistant coach, for sure, would have to. He's either coached them or coached against them, which is absolutely crazy about the longevity that he's had. Yeah. Um, but the brotherhood the uh, of the coach coaching uh, in NLL, it's something special. Um, you know, we're talking to – you're doing your your coach's call throughout the week. You know, usually there's some sort of connection to to the coach across them that mm-hmm. they're going up against, and it's it's really cool to see. It's what one of the many many things that makes the game of lacrosse so special. Yeah, I always like asking, especially when there is that relationship between coaches. Like, 
do you get up more for these games to coach against the guy that you played with or a guy that you've always battled against your career? And some guys are like, oh, yeah, I look forward to these games because it's such a good chess match. And other coaches like, no, I don't worry about what's on the other bench. I just worry about what my team can do. So um, it's just – it's just such an awesome fraternity and you're right the the less bartley coaching tree is probably one of the greatest stories in lacrosse about just how many guys he's affected and instilled great methodology and instincts and coaching ability throughout the national League. so um just forever grateful for everything that that less has done for the world of lacrosse um before we get out of here a couple final stories um oakville is going back to major series. Uh, They have decided to get back to a ball. Owen sound is still trying to get in. Uh, There's a good story out there in the Owen sound newspaper, about our new ownership group taking it over from Mr. Bug juice at Norton. Um, So that process is hopefully going to be finalized. The Owen sound wants to have all that paperwork finished in time by the draft happen. So they can be involved this year in the MSL But Oakville going back kind of works towards the idea that Lacrosse Canada or Canada Lacrosse, whichever it is, um, is trying to limit the number of NLL players in Senior B Lacrosse. Mm -hmm. Because the number of guys that are opting out of Senior A to play Senior B is growing and has been growing exponentially over the last few years. Just look at the teams like the Miners, the Pioneers, Oakville, you know, Okwesasne, Ganawagi, like all those teams are laden with NLL players, and some way more than others. Who does this hurt the most to limit to whatever it's going to be five players that have played NLL? Because for me, I think it's Senior B as a whole that it's going to hurt because it has become such an awesome tournament. But I understand when you look at an Edmonton team or a Ladner team or Oakville when 75 85% of that team is NLL players. I get it. It's, it's a little much for what is supposed to be a lower level of lacrosse. But if you can, you can. So I'm interested to see who this truly affects. Like, Ladner isn't going to be able to field the same roster. Edmonton's not going to be able to field the same roster. So they're going to have to find a way, you know, if players have lived in that city for X amount of time, they don't count against it. Because, like, Edmonton, majority of their team are Edmonton guys. So how do you – and they don't have a ball. Right? Mm-hmm. There, there is some talks in talking with some of those guys that are involved with the minors that maybe they try to go and play a ball and and pick up the tab to travel to BC, you know, three, four times, five times a year to play double headers and stuff like that, just to be involved. But like, how do you hamper them? How do you handicap them and say, hey, you don't have an A team, you do have a B team, but and and most of your t- guys are from Edmonton. But we're not going to let you have more than five NLLers. Yeah, for for me, I think it, it's it's not necessarily A or B or hurts the most. It hurts the minors the most. I think yeah. that now you're going to have to make them force their hand. Whether you know, guys, then are are again, some guys are going to have to either not play this summer or go live somewhere else out of province if they do live in 
Edmonton. And I know when you looked at the roster this year, there definitely was not as many NLLers, you know, as there have been in years past. Maybe that's something that they've foreseen, but you look at all the guys that are coming up, you know, Levi Anderson is going to be playing in the NLL next year. Like it, it, going forward, it's going to hurt a guy like Matthew Gauthier, um, yeah. You know, he finishes junior. He has an opportunity now to play senior. That's going to take like now, like now they have decisions. So it's yeah. really tough and it hurts obviously the big product of, of, of the president's cup. But I totally understand where they're going with this because at the end of the day, um, these NLLers are taking spots away from guys that are trying to better themselves and get to the next level. But then I don't know if those guys are playing senior B, doesn't that then open up spots for those younger guys to take their spots up in in senior? Like it's kind of a a weird spot. I don't think there is a perfect formula to this. Um, I don't envy the ones that have to make the choices. I don't envy the minors having to make a choice, whether, they're going to just, okay, we're taking five NLs. We're going to stay here. We're going to go to play the Prezi and that's it. Or do they say, let's round up a bunch of money and, and, and let's join the WLA. I don't know. I'd love to see that. I'll be honest. That would be awesome yeah. to see. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's tough. It's the, it, here's the thing, folks, we love our summer ball. There are going to be some drastic changes over the next three, five to 10 years. It's going to look completely yeah. different. Um, you know, within the next five to 10 years, it's not going to be the same summer ball that you've grown up with and seen. And that's sad, but that also means that the game itself is growing as well. Yeah. I think there's, you know, as much as we're talking right now, about NLL is not being allowed in senior B, how much longer till NLLers aren't allowed in senior A, right? You know, we're already seeing the PLL make statements that say, hey, guys aren't allowed to play Canadian summer. They're going to play PLL because they want their players playing in their league solely at that time. But when are we going to get slowly to that point? We've been talking about this for years where NLL GMs say, hey, sorry, man, you cannot play softball. We can't risk you getting injured if we're giving you whatever we're giving you per year. Um, So, yeah, I think over the next few years, handful of years, um, senior A, senior B, all that stuff is definitely going to change because I truly believe the time is coming when no NLL players will be playing in Canadian summer lacrosse just because these guys are, are getting paid too much in the national crossing and their, their health is so much important. Um, so that's all the lacrosse news we have for you this week, but Pat Gregoire is coming upon the busiest time of year for him and his Twitter fingers. Um, if you're not following Pat, A, you should be. And B, every Christmas Eve, he is the number one Santa insider. Uh, how big is your Rolodex of, you know, guys you can call to find out where Santa is, how his travel's going, if he's having any delays or anything like that? Oh, you know, this, uh, again, one, uh, a good reporter never reveals their sources. And that's how you lose sources. But, you know, this this is a bit busy time of year for me. It's an even busier time of year for old St. Nick himself. So, you know, having contact directly with him, good luck. You have to have inside sources at the North Pole, of course, but also at NORAD. Um, you know, I'm not going to reveal exactly who, um, but you got to have your finger in all different different directions and, and in different uh, rabbit holes because, again, it's we're – Two days and 12 hours as recording away from when Santa's going to, to take flight. Um, so keep keep tuned. 
to at P Greggy, hashtag Santa Insider, have all the scoops. Uh, currently working on a report. Sounds like he had a couple of uh, a test runs over the last couple of days, making sure everything's running. The deers are healthy. Uh, reindeers are flying well. The sleigh is good to go. So uh, keep tuned to that, uh, tr- trying to find out um, if everything's on track. It sounds like it, it is going to be a successful uh, Christmas Eve for Santa. I just can't believe the goat Rudolph is still doing it at this age, man. Like, that guy just never ages. You talk about longevity, what he's been able to do <laughs> for this long. It's it's remarkable. It's really, really is remarkable. It's, as you know, as we've talked about, it's a very mild winter out here in the West Coast, so we shouldn't have any issues landing on rooftops come December 25th. That'll do it for this week's show. Thanks to Zach Mance for stopping by, giving us some time as always. Uh, he's got this week off the rush, so he's enjoying some Victoria home life before he has a game on New Year's Eve at Tell. Three games this weekend, Toronto at Panther City, Georgia at Colorado, Vancouver at Rochester, all games on ESPN Plus and TSN Plus this weekend. You can find him at P. Greggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner, the show at OTCB underscore podcast or on Instas at OTCB podcast. Make sure you hit up the OTCB parlay on Coolbet. Enjoy the games this weekend. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. All the best to you and your families. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other. I am an outlaw.